Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 10 of Faith, Tech, and Space. I'm your host, Rich Hay from WindowsObserver.com. Good to be with you. It has been nearly a month since I recorded episode 9, and I apologize for that gap. I'm just starting to learn that it, things are really going to depend a lot about what's going on in classes. And you, you guys who listen to the podcast know that I'm in formation, and so I'm in a couple different levels of class, both online and locally, although my local classes are also online right now because of the pandemic. So uh, schedule-wise, it's still going to be very fluid. Uh, right now, it seems about every three to four weeks is what I'm able to do. So it might change a little bit, and we'll talk about where my schedule is now and how that might impact things moving down the road. So uh, I want to start off, though, and, and share some news from my Star Trek fan base, from my Star Trek fanism. And that is that they announced a few weeks ago that Star Trek Strange New Worlds is going to be coming. Now, this is a spinoff of Discovery, Star Trek Discovery, which is available on CBS All Access. And it's a spinoff from the appearance of Captain Pike, played by played by Anson Mount, and of course Spock in number one. So we saw a lot of uh, Captain Pike throughout the season, till end of season one when they met up with the Enterprise, and then all of season two. And as we wait for Discovery Season 3, we have learned that there will be a new series, a new Star Trek series starring these three as the primary characters that will chronicle the USS Enterprise's um, journeys to strange new worlds and exploration under Captain Pike prior to what we all know as Captain Kirk's stint on board the Enterprise. So um, it'll be great to see how that works out and how it comes about, but that is kind of what's going on in the Star Trek world right now. Um, so I'm very excited about that. So we'll jump into the faith part of things and talk a little bit about uh, where we're at with my schedule and stuff like that and how that is starting to, is impacting me when it comes to scheduling and recording this podcast. Now locally, yesterday, uh, let's see, today is the 14th of June that we're recording this episode. So yesterday was the 13th of June. We had our final of three local patristics classes. Uh, we're studying the church fathers. And uh, we've had to turn in two papers so far, two short papers, less than four pages each. And we have one big final paper due um, middle of next month, actually around the 19th, that will be on, on St. Augustine, one of the early church, Latin church fathers. So um, that, will, that and one other paper, we have a uh, pastoral experience paper that we have to submit for our first year. And those two papers will wrap up our first academic year locally. Now, online, we continue to take the, um, the Synoptic Gospels in John class. We have moved out of Mark, and we're now in Matthew. We're in our fifth week this week. We're just finishing up our fifth week, getting ready to start our sixth week tomorrow. So that has been going really good. It's been interesting to learn about the Gospels uh, and how they're formatted and how they're put together because you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke that are called the synoptic gospels. That's because they're similar. And the reason they're similar is, is that Matthew and Luke use a lot of Mark. And then Matthew and Luke have a shared source somewhere in the world. It's called Q. That's after a German word. I forget the German word for it. Um, so they share that, and then they own, each have their own content there. So you have... Um, you have Mark, which is Mark. It's the shortest gospel. It is believed to have been the first written gospel, of course, and that fits in with the, the idea that Matthew and Luke, which came later, used Mark as a source. And in fact, you can see that almost word for word when you're reading in Matthew and Luke. And then there's this cue, this common stuff that M Matthew and Luke both used, and then Matthew and Luke have their own content as well. So it's been interesting studying how that all fits together. And again, we're, only, we're, we're on our second of three lessons about Matthew, and then we'll move into Luke. But uh, it's been a real, real neat experience to learn this kind of background and, and, and about the Gospels in this way and how, how they came to be. Uh, in the Catholic Church, in the church teaching, church tradition, we believe they are inspired. Uh, they're inspired Word of God. And so the writers of those Gospels were inspired to write. So there was a human author. There's the inspired, the, whole, the, the, the sacred author that, that wrote the Gospels that we now know today. So that's where we are with that, with the online class through Josephinum. Um, and then, um, so we've wrapped up local classes, local stuff. We have the two papers left. The next thing on our schedule for our local class is in August. So we got a couple months before we have our end of year one retreat. 
uh, it's a it's part of our process and in fact at that retreat which is a three-day retreat uh, we also have our vocations board interview we have one of these each year at the end of the year and it's where um, our progress is evaluated and we we get interviewed by the board that board then makes a recommendation to the bishop who in turn uh, uh, allows us to continue our formation, our studies. And in fact, the big difference this year will be is that during the first year of your formation as a deacon, you're considered an aspirant. You're in a, it's an aspirancy year because you're aspiring towards becoming a candidate for holy orders. So if we, if we are allowed to continue into our second year, on September 19th, the bishop will hold a mass at the cathedral in St. Augustine, where we will be presented to the bishop as candidates for holy orders. And so we will go through that mass and become candidates for holy orders, which is ordination. And, uh, and then we will enter our year two. Uh, in fact, we'll have our first year two class about a week before that, um, that mass of candidacy, so the rite of candidacy. So um, that's how we'll, and then we'll enter year two. Uh, and then we will be part of the plans for year two is we will be instituted as lectors, which are readers at the mass, the people who proclaim the word in the uh, first and second readings. And then uh, later on in the year, early next year, I think it'll be, we will be instituted as acolytes, which are um, someone who serves on the altar and support the priest and the deacon and stuff like that. So uh, a little bit different from an altar server. Um, an acolyte has, uh, has more training and has a few other responsibilities and capabilities that a, that a, a young altar server may not have. So we have that going on. Um, and then, of course, we'll be continuing our, our online classes because we, we have a full slate of online classes all the way through our third year, through the spring of our third year leading up to the planned ordination in June of 2022. Uh, God willing, that's where we'll be. Um, our public masses continue, so we're still live streaming masses six days a week at, at my parish. Um, and it's going really well. Granted, now that masses are public, we have fewer viewers online, but we still continue to get 40 to 50 viewers on the daily masses from Monday through Friday. And then on Sunday morning, 8 a.m. mass, we, we have 130, 140, 150 or so in that ballpark. So it continues to be a great resource for people to be able, that aren't comfortable coming out yet, that, that aren't sure uh, how they want to approach uh, attending Mass. And our bishop continues to have a dispensation in place that the Sunday obligation to attend Mass is lifted right now. Uh, it has been suspended. So we do have quite a number of people, 20 to 30 people each Sunday morning that do come to the church and they watch the live stream of the Mass on their phones, in their cars, or their tablets, uh, and then they receive communion outside the church. So it's a, it's a nice way for people who aren't quite ready to enter into the church in bulk to be able to uh, receive. And it's what's nice, we, we are observing all the rules, masks required, social distancing. We've, we know how distant the chairs are and how many chairs between people, family groups, and stuff like that. So all of that continues to go very well. Uh, about a week ago, we had our RCI, our candidates, and our catechumens, so that are people who are baptized Christian that are becoming Catholic, and those who had never been baptized uh, becoming entering the church. That normally happens on the Easter Vigil, uh, because we were in the lockdown and we were not having public Masses, that couldn't happen. So that Mass happened uh, last Sunday. And then in the afternoon, the confirmation mass for our teenagers who received confirmation was held. So it was great to be able to see those folks uh, enter the church and then also to see our young adults receive confirmation, one of the sacraments uh, that, they receive, that we receive out of the seven. Today we celebrated the solemnity of the body and blood of Christ in Latin. That's called Corpus Christi, and uh, that is a... a a solemnity in the church because it's such an important day. It's a we believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, uh, in the bread and wine that is on the altar that the priest confects to become the body and blood of Christ. And we believe it is the real presence, the body, so, body, blood, soul, and divinity of the Lord. Um, and so it's something that we we believe strongly in, and this is a celebration of that belief and reinforcement of that belief. Right now, since Easter is over, since I last recorded, Easter is now over, uh, and we're in what the season called ordinary time. This is our biggest time of the year, and in fact, we are in ordinary time now until November 29th when we will enter Advent just before Christmas.
Christmas uh, in preparation for Christmas, and then we'll have Christmas Christmas season, and then we'll go back into ordinary time again for a short period before we begin Lent, and that leads us up to Easter. And in fact, it was Lent, uh, the fourth Sunday of Lent, that we entered into the lockdown, into the pandemic lockdown. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. That's where we're at in formation. So thank you for your prayers. If you're praying or thinking of us and our, my cohort uh, appreciates that. And so we ask you to continue to do that for us. All right, let's talk about tech because there's a lot been going on in the last month in tech. So first off, let's talk Windows Insiders. We've had five builds released over the last uh, month. So we've had uh, 19628, 631, 635, 640, and the latest last week, 645. Uh, the, these are fastering builds. They, they are currently coming out of the manganese branch, what they call the manganese, not the RS pre-release, but the manganese branch. This is Windows 10 V next, right? This is, the, this is the code that will be used to create the next feature update of Windows 10, uh, at least based on what they've told us so far in the way they're structuring things. Um, what's expected, though, is that... Uh, we may be seeing the first builds of 21H1. That is the first feature update for next year. It, it sounds like there's some speculation out there on the interwebs that talk about that we should possibly be seeing that in the fast ring in June and that this whole Windows 10 V Next will shift. It will change, and we won't be doing V Next. We'll actually be doing 21H1, very similar to how 20H1 went, which is the May 2020 update. And, in fact, let's talk about that because Windows 10 version 2000, sorry, I almost said it wrong, Windows 10 version 2004, 2004, looks like 2004, 2004 has been released. So we finally did get that on, uh, I think it was just after Patch Tuesday this month or last month. Um, so Windows 10 version 2004 is out. It's available. Developers can start working on that. They're accepting, obviously, they're accepting a new app updates for Windows 10 version 2004. And there's, I've got blog links here to what's coming up in Windows 10 accessibility in the May 2020 update. Um, and then uh, the, I've got a couple links to the stories here talking about the potential that this Windows 10 21 H1 build is coming to fastering this month. Again, we're watching. It's the 14th of June. So we, I think, let's see, we had Patch Tuesday last week. So we'll watch this week's fastering build and see if it shifts over and see if we start to see 21 H1 or not. Uh, on the Windows 10 May 2020 update released. I got links to my blog post about that on windowsobserver.com. I got links to how to get the Windows 10 May 2020 update. Of course, it's available uh, on Windows Update. So if you're running a past version of Windows, it will show up there if your device is ready. If it's not ready, you still might see a notice there that says, hey, we've released this, but it's not quite ready for your device yet, or your device is not quite ready for it yet. And they will then, uh, that will update on, and and prompt you to download the update once it's cleared for your device. Uh, there is um, a link here I've got to the Windows 10 uh, version 2004 Windows release information, aka the Windows release health dashboard. That's where you go to see what blocks are on, what um, things have been mitigated, what they've dealt with, and what devices. It's still a slow rollout. Look, this is a seeker thing right now. So if you go hit Windows update, it will show you if it's available or not. And then if you want it, there'll be a download button. You download it, and you get installed, and you get upgraded to it. If you don't want it, you just set tight because it will not automatically install. We're not at that point yet. So that's where we stand with Windows 10 version 2004, or a.k.a. the May 2020 update. A couple of interesting notes here, okay? There are a couple things that are deprecated and removed in Windows 10 version 2004. I've got a link here to a, a blog post by Paul Therott about those things. Nothing major, nothing that we use on a regular basis in Windows 10, but I've got it there just in case you want to read that. I've got a link to the blog post from Microsoft that talks about what's new in Windows 10 May 2020 updates. So you can run down that list of features. And then I have a link here to a story by Mary Jo Foley that talks about this Windows 10 Windows Feature Experience Pack. If you have installed the Windows 10 May 2020 update and you go to the About page in Settings, you're going to see a new entry down there where it shows you what version of Windows you're running. And it's going to say that the Windows Feature Update is installed. Well, the big question mark is, what is that? What is it all about? Mary Jo's got some information about that for you. 
uh, on my own uh, thing, you guys know over the last several, uh, last at least the last two years or so, I have brought along the new Vision. I have two new Vision tablets, an 8-inch and a 10-inch. These are the ones that were like $80 at one point at Christmas or something like that. And I have an HP Stream 7, right? These are old devices, no more than 2 gig on each one. They have Atom chips on them, so I don't even know if they're going to be eligible to grab the Windows 10 May 2020 update. Um, my 8-inch new vision is kind of dying, right? The solid-state drive cuts out. The power cuts out. I can't keep it on for very long. So I'm probably done testing with the new vision 8-inch. The 10-inch, however, still works. And in fact, it shows it knows about the Windows 10 May 2020 update. However, it is not. my device is not cleared for it, whatever that means. So I'm assuming since it's seeing it, it will get at some point when that becomes available when it's no longer blocked. Uh, on the HP Stream 7, I'm not even seeing an indication that it knows about 2004, but it's still running well. That little device is a great little 7-inch device, and so it continues to run, and I continue will use it to try to upgrade to 1903 to the Windows 10 May 2020 update. All right, so that's where we're at with all the Windows 10 stuff. Lots going on, plenty of builds coming out in fast ring. If you um, have not done it yet and you don't want to go any further in, if you were running Windows 10 20 H1 pre-release builds, so if you were in the slow ring or the release preview ring, you want to go into the Windows update on the Windows update and security settings and go to Windows Insider settings and toggle don't give me any new updates once the, this feature is out. And it, what it will do, it takes about a day, but it will trigger your system back to production numbers to production release you won't get any more slow ring or, or release preview updates that will keep you on windows 10 1903 when that's the may 2020 update so if you want to do that i have a blog post on i think it's on windowsobserver.com in fact that explains that and shows you how to toggle that toggle if not it's definitely on my twitter feed so at winobs at twitter all right, so we uh, Edge, let's talk about Microsoft Edge, right? So we've got four channels of Edge out there right now. Edge Canary is in version 85, specifically build 545. Edge Developer Channel is in version 84, build 538. So it's right behind, that's the weekly update, right? Edge Canary gets weekly daily updates during the week. Edge Developer gets uh, weekly updates. Edge Beta is in version 84 as well, build 522.15. Edge Beta tends to get updates about once every six weeks. And then Edge Stable tends to follow Edge Beta. Uh, a same kind of update schedule, right? About every four to six weeks. And it is currently still in version 83 build 478.45. So all four channels are running well. And in fact, this past week, I noticed and I tweeted about it that Edge Canary and Edge Developer now have the ability to set a custom picture on your home page uh, in the in the browser. So if you if you go to home, whether you click the home icon or button or you open the browser, know how you can have an option to get a picture there, the daily picture from Bing. Well, now the option is there to use your own photo for that background image. So you can, I've got it on Edge Dev and Edge Canary. It's not filtered its way down to, um, to beta or stable channel yet. Beta and stable channels still don't have anything with history sync or tab sync. We don't have that across any of these channels. Uh, that's the next big thing we're waiting for, right? We're waiting for uh, history sync and tab sync to come up and be active in the edge uh, edge canary. It'll start in edge canary and it'll start making its way across all the channels. Um, with the release of Windows 10 version 2004, Microsoft Edge is now officially beginning to roll out via Windows Update. So some of you will, see, if you're running a legacy Edge, um, you will start to see Edge Chromium be available via Windows Update. Um, if you want to, and this will be for 1803, 1809, 1903, and 1909, okay? Microsoft released a series of support articles. They released one for the 1803, 1809, said it would be automatic. 1903, 1909, and said you had to manually download it. And then they published one for all four past versions of Windows 10 that said it'll come automatically. So it was a little confusing. But bottom line is, if you're on 1903 or 1909 uh, and or even 2004, you can go to the Microsoft Edge for Business website. I've got a link here. And you can download it. It's not a different version of Edge. It's just where businesses can go to download Edge to make it part of their deployment package um, and distribution, you know, by via uh, um, the different managers' businesses uses to push as 
to push uh, software down to endpoints. So you can go there and download download the, the Edge Stable channel right from there and install it. it. Again, it's not any different from what the consumer business, there is no differentiation. It's just available for download on the business website. Whereas on the normal Edge website, you can only download developer, beta, or canary channels. So if you wanna go ahead and get up there, if you're on 2004 or 1903 or 1909, or even 1803, 1809, you can go right there to download the stable build. What happens when you install the stable build, it is going to replace uh, Legacy Edge. So it'll take over for Legacy Edge, it'll replace the shortcuts, it'll become your default. Legacy Edge doesn't go anywhere, they're not deleting it off your system, it's still there in the background, but it will not be readily available. You'll, you'll be using the new Edge with Chromium then. Uh, we've got release notes. There's a new release notes page just for stable channels. So those of you that are just on stable channel and want to check the updates, there is a new uh, document page that just tracks release notes for stable channel. Of course, for Edge and uh, for Edge developer and beta, the uh, Insider website, Edge Insider website, carries the updates when those get updates released. Um, there's an improved spell check experience coming to Microsoft Edge. Uh, they're, they're improving that. And in fact, Microsoft has provided that input to Chromium. And Chromium is going to use a very similar uh, update to spell checking. Uh, security baseline for Microsoft Edge version 83, that is what's in stable right now, has rolled out. So if you are on Edge stable, if you're an enterprise or business customer, you can use this security baseline to set some of your group policy for Microsoft Edge, the new version. New Microsoft Edge, they call it. And then I got a link here for Microsoft Edge developers. So if you're a web developer or building PWAs, there's what's called a platform status page that is now available, and you can check in things there. All right, so lots going on with Edge. It's a constant cycle, right? Almost, I mean, easily four to five times a week we get a Canary update. Every week we get a dev, dev update for the most part, and then we, it just, it's a constant pace. I'm really looking forward, though, to seeing History Sync get there. I'm currently kind of fooling the system, right? There is a, uh, there's, what is it called? It's a, uh, there is a, there's an extension called Web Activities in the Chrome store. This is not available in the Edge add-on store. Uh, if you go to the Chrome Web Store, which you can install this on, on Microsoft Edge, on New Edge, it's called Web Activities. You sign in with your Microsoft account, and it will it will it puts your activity into the Microsoft Graph. And that way, when you use the uh, what do you call it, the Task View, you that history syncs across all your devices. I have it installed on all four channels of the browser, so I see everything anywhere that I browse in any one of the channels. Um, so if you want something now while we wait for history sync to roll, that is a great way to kind of get your history uh, syncing across your devices. All right, what else is going on? Microsoft Build, right? Back in uh, the third week of May, about a week after I did my last podcast or so, 10 days, Microsoft Build 2020 happened. Uh, lots of news came out of that, a lot of developer-related news. It was 48 hours of straight activity, and i got to tell you, I came away from that 48 hours really broken. My back was, ter was in terrible pain, my shoulder, I had pain rating down my arm. I'm now in the process of going to doctor's appointments and waiting to schedule an MRI because it looks like beyond having a little bit of arthritis, I'm 56 years old, so I'm going to have some arthritis. Um, I may have some narrowing of the channels that come out of the spine uh, where the nerves go out to go down your body and out your arm. So they're going to do an MRI to get a better look at that, but we've got it under control now. I've, I'm, I've got an anti-inflammatory that I can take when I need it that really helps to knock down the pain. So, um, But that two days in front of the computer for build was, was really, really tough on the body. Uh, but it went well, I thought, okay? I wrote a story about um, Microsoft Build on um, IT Pro Today that talked about the numbers. I mean, they they had in excess of 250,000 registered users for Build 2020, right? Well, you know, when it's global and it's free and it costs nothing and you don't have to travel, registrations are high. They had, an, I think they probably averaged in the ballpark of 90 to 100,000 active users, active engaged users each day. They could tell how many people logged in to create schedules, to schedule uh, sessions for themselves. And uh, they really did do a huge digital transformation. Microsoft talks a lot about digital transformation, but they truly did. Uh, they estimate about two years worth of digital transformation in the eight weeks that they prepared Build 2020 to be online. Now, we know that this will be the same case next year. Build 2021 has already been 
announced to be digital. So I suspect they'll take what they've learned here and they'll use that to help build 2020. No, no pun intended, to help build, build 2021. Of course, we have Microsoft Ignite coming up in September. That is also going to be digital. I would expect we will see very similar numbers. Now, normally, Build or normally Microsoft Ignite, where Build has about six or seven thousand people in person, Ignite has 27, 30,000 people in person. But I expect their registrations to be very similar, right? I don't expect there to be this exponential number of people that will register for Microsoft Ignite that wouldn't have registered for Build, okay? Although Ignite does tend to hit a broader audience, IT pros managers and things like that as opposed to developers like build does i fully expect that ignite's going to be heavily heavily attended as well especially since free all right so i got some posts uh for you about productivity tools that got some new updates i got a link to the microsoft build 2020 website that's where you go to watch on demand because all that content's on demand and then build 2020 book of news microsoft has built an interactive website where you can walk through the news about the different events uh, the different technologies and services and products that were announced the book of news is something fairly new in the last couple of years for microsoft they've been sending it to us in the media so that we can use it to pre-prepare content we get it ahead of time under nda uh, under embargo so it's a really cool kind of way to catch up with all the news in one place um, so check that out. And then if you're one, Microsoft has some digital swag uh, to share for build. And they it, some of it was some wallpapers, which are really cool. They're originally available on the digital swag GitHub repository. I pulled those wallpapers out and I created downloads for them on windowsobserver.com on the download site. You can go there and grab those really cool looking wallpapers if you want them. All right, let's talk a little bit of miscellaneous tech. One of the things Microsoft announced at uh, build was win git it's this new uh, ability to from to pull out of a repository of software through a command line software to install on your device it can be run as a script it can be run by command line and uh, you know typed in command line instructions or you can run a script to get it um, now there are there's a story out there about how it was very similar to a thing called AppGit and how Microsoft handled it. They didn't handle it very well, okay. It was an open source project, so by Microsoft taking it and turning it into WinGit, in the open source world, there's nothing wrong with that because people branch off of open source. That's the whole idea. However, it, there was some pretty unprofessional handling of how they, they kind of dealt with the guy who built AppGit. They'd had him in for interviews and talked to him about his product and then ended up kind of ghosting him and, and being silent for months until build. And then they told him, we're going to announce this thing called WinGit. And we're going to mention AppGit as one of the, the, the sources or one of the, 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 the inspirations for this. So that story alone, all right, let's talk about WinGit. So WinGit is a repository of software that is used on Windows. Uh, developers can use it to install developer software and developer kits. Uh, but what's pretty cool is Mahedi at uh, therot.com, who, by the way, is about to start his first internship with Qualcomm, working on the Windows ARM stuff. Uh, he built a something called Winstall app. So Winstall, W-I-N-S-T-A-L-L dot app is the website. And what you do is you can go there and you can, it uses this WinGit feature that Microsoft has built for installing software from the command line. And you can actually build up the package and save a script that will install on your device. Now I haven't tested this yet. I want to create, basically what I want to do is when I do a clean machine, I've got certain software that I always install. And in fact, I'm overdue for doing a what I use post. So I need to do that soon for you guys. But so you, you basically, you click on and pick the software you always install on your device. So for me, that's things like Authy for multi-factor authentication, Bit, Bitwarden for uh, password management, you know, Edge, whatever the Edge browser, I install certain graphics software like Git, uh, Git Paint or Paint.net, uh, Earthran View. So there's all this software, uh, Spotify, what else? All the, whatever I use, you can create a script. And so when you get a brand new system, you run that script and it will reach out and grab that stuff and install it without you having to go out and do all that. So it's pretty handy for saving time uh, when you're setting up a new system. Um, so this Winstall app that Mahedi put together is pretty slick. And you've seen his work on uh, Tweetin, how he's modified, um, uh, put an interface around TweetDeck. And it, it's, very, it's a very cool looking site. So you got to go check that out. I got a link to the story they published on Therot.com about that. Uh, Microsoft 365 app update channels. So we're now, uh, Microsoft has changed the way they're calling. It used to be Insider 
They used to be fast, insider slow when you were testing in the Office Insider program. Microsoft has now changed those names, and we now have beta channel. That's early adopters, IT pros, developers, somebody who wants to get access to the earliest builds as possible. Then you have current channel. That's a preview channel. That's updated, I think, want to say about once a month, uh, but that's a preview, current channel. Um, and then you have current channel, which is not a preview. That is the current channel release. And then you have monthly enterprise, semi-annual enterprise, a preview, and then semi-annual in, annual enterprise channel. So we now have those different channels to kind of help differentiate if you're in early or not and whether you're seeing a preview or whether you're seeing a regular release. Um, what else have we got here? The May 2020 Xbox One update is out. New simpler guide. You know, there's not a whole lot more they can do for the interface here for the the, the console itself. Uh, the the speculation is that this is the interface we will see on the Xbox Series X when it gets released later this year. But each month they continue to work a really solid program of early release testing and tweaking this. And the the guide has become extremely less intrusive. It runs very quickly these days on the latest uh, Insider. Uh, I'm on the Alpha. Uh, inside alpha fast alpha skip ahead i think it's called um, so if you're interested in seeing where xbox one is going you can get in on the insider program there uh, they also announced it unveiled this digital direct thing so if you ever seen a you've obviously seen an xbox one console that's been advertised to come with a, a game or something like that whether it be madden or whether it be forza horizon or whether it be fortnite or any other game right well, it used to be in the box, you got a, a placard that had a code that you would redeem on your console. If you already had the game and you bought the console, you could give that code to somebody else, or technically, I don't know whether it's legal or not, but you could sell it, all right? So the, um, it, it gave you the ability to, to share that, right, if you didn't need it. Uh, what's happening is this is digital direct. Now when you buy a console, there won't be a placard in there anymore. But when you activate and turn on the console, your freebie will download to your console automatically. Or I guess it might prompt you and say, can I download this? Bottom line is you don't get a placard and a code to share anymore or to sell or to trade or do anything with. Um, it brings me to the point that I've made before. It's been a couple of years since I talked about this. But I think we need a digital marketplace to be able to, to trade, barter, share, sell old games and stuff that we don't play anymore, that we bought and maybe don't want to use anymore. You know, back in the day, it used to be our discs. We used to take those discs and we used to trade them in at GameStop or something like that and get some credit and then buy a new game. Uh, right now in digital, you don't get a chance to do that. You have no option. You, the game is yours. There's no way to share it or anything like that. I'd really like to be able to see us have a digital marketplace where we have that capability where we can share those things. And if we want to sell them or maybe you sell them at a lower cost and make sure the publisher gets a little cut of that, I'd be okay with that. At least it would be a more robust way to do things. I just think so. Uh, the PS5 reveal happened this past week. It's a little bit of a spacey, kind of uh, curvy, high-tech looking console. Um, you can check out the pictures. I got a link here to it. And you can watch the video. It's on the Sony uh, YouTube page. Uh, it definitely looks nothing like Xbox Series X. But it will be interesting to see how things progress. Now, they didn't talk specs. Uh, they did show off a lot of games in that hour-long thing as they before they unveiled the console. But um, it'll be interesting because next month, Microsoft is announcing their Xbox first-party games. So Xbox Studios games that are going to come with Xbox Series X that are either being upgraded or will be new to the console. Um, it'll be interesting to see that because don't forget, Xbox Game Pass. Every one of those first-party games go to Xbox Game Pass on the day of release. Huge, huge deal there, right? Huge deal. Um, and, uh, and so that's kind of where we stand on, on the gaming console stuff. That this is going to kind of be the, the thing the next few months. It's going to be a trickle of information coming out bit by bit, month by month, segment by segment, until we get to the launch. And then we're able to put stuff into our own hands. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit of hardware, right? Surface Duo. I uh, got information here about specs from Windows Central. Uh, Zach Bowden was sharing some info about a rumored release that it might be released before Galaxy Fold 2, which put it in sometime before, the, I think, the first week of August. So interesting to watch there. We have not heard that Surface Duo has been canceled. We do know Surface Neo has been pushed back, Windows 10X, right, and all that. Um, but Surface Duo is still expected to be released. That's based on Android. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, on myself, I recently got to have hands-on with a new set of noise-canceling headphones. Uh, the 
the Tribit Quiet Plus noise canceling headphones. So these are it right here. Uh, really nice uh, fit. I, uh, I, I'm really pleased with them and the way they work. They're very similar in a sense to the Surface headphones. I will say this, they are not as comfortable as the Surface headphones over the course of a long period of time wearing them, but they are very good headphones. They're very good sound. They're very good noise canceling. So uh, I've got sh photos up and a screenshot gallery, product gallery of those. So you can check that out on windowsobserver.com and I've got the link right there. The other thing I got to try was the Tranya Remore wireless earbuds. And these have some natural built-in noise counseling, but they're really comfortable headbuds. But all, both of these devices have interactive stuff that you can work with it. Uh, the earbuds have touch interface. The headphones have a button to move back and forth with stuff. Um, and I've just received, I, they're out in a box still in the garage because I haven't unboxed them. Um, but I got another set of earbuds coming in from uh, Tribit that is a newer set than their Remor, so I'm looking forward to trying those out as well. Uh, and then I've got a, a link here to uh, several reviews that have come out in the last month, Surface Go 2 reviews, uh, Surface Book 3 reviews, there's been a new Surface Book firmware releases for some of the older versions, and there was some day one for the Surface Book 3. Um, I have my hands on a Surface Book 3 Microsoft. Um, I've got uh, the Surface Book 3 about two weeks ago, and uh, it's, the, it's the 13 inch device. This is the Core i7. It's got a quad-core processor in it. It's got a 4 gig uh, uh, NVIDIA video card, the GTX 1050, I think it's called, or 1650. I, uh, it's, it's got 32 gig of RAM and a 512 gigabyte SSD in it. So I've, got, I've been using this over the last couple of weeks, getting it set up. I'm running production Windows 10 on it. So that's version 2004. I had to force the update because until last week, uh, the Surface devices were blocked from getting the update. But I will be sharing more about Surface Book 3 over time. Uh, as the past models, it's nothing has changed much in the, in the format, in the design. Uh, they've basically upgraded the innards of it, but it's a fast little device. I ran, I, uh, I've run some games on there that I couldn't run on old Surface Book. And uh, I recently passed on Surface Book OG, the first Surface Book, uh, to my wife, who's now using that, because unfortunately her Surface Laptop, which she picked up for me as I got Surface Laptop 3 last fall, um, has has stopped charging. I can't figure out why it won't charge. So when, when the Microsoft Store is opened once again here in Jacksonville, I'm going to take it to the store and see what can be done. Uh, online, they're telling me it's a $450 uh, fee to trade it in to get a refurbished unit. So it's a little expensive for just sorting out a battery. Uh, so anyway, Surface Earbuds, Surface Go 2, Surface Book. I got links to reviews on all them. Uh, a lot of good words about Surface Go 2, the new smaller device. And it's got a little more of a pep in its step when you buy the top end one. All right. On the space world, let's talk about what's going on in space. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys were aware of this, but China had launched a rocket, and apparently it was an uncontrolled reentry that, if not for about 15-minute difference, uh, this rocket, the core rocket, landed in the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, and so they, they calculate it was about a 15-minute difference to when that thing might have landed on the East Coast. So kind of scary there that the Chinese launched the rocket, and that's fine, but that they lost control of it and had some issues and could not control its reentry. So that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Um, SpaceX, let's see. What, two weeks ago, what happened? Humans, Americans launching from American rocket on American soil from Cape Canaveral, launch pad 39A, that launch complex that saw the Apollo moon missions launch from it, that saw, saw every shuttle mission launch from it, and, uh, and now in SpaceX has leased Launch Complex 39A, and they launched Crew Dragon with um, Bob Binky and Doug Hurley. They are up on ISS. They are there for an extended stay. Crew Dragon performed perfectly and did very well. They said it was a great ride to orbit, uh, and then they did their 19-hour catch-up to Space Station and docked, and, and just wonderful. It's passing all its tests so far, so good for them. So they're up there. They're working for a while. They could potentially be there through August. It all depends, and they are integrating into the crew of the station and doing science and other things like that. Um, 
pretty cool little feature on the Astro van, right? So the you know there was a scrub on the initial launch attempt, and then they launched on the so that was a Wednesday. On the following Saturday, they did the launch, but they ride a Tesla Model X to the launch pad. It's got special seats in it that are like the seats in in Crew Dragon, and they can plug their umbilical into it that keeps their suit cool. So no more of those boxes having to be carried around. Uh, in these very futuristic-looking spacesuits they wore, no more bo- uh, having to carry a cooling unit like that we saw in the Apollo days. They now can plug directly in and get their cooling from that. Um, so I've got some some links to some pretty cool photos that were shared from that first astronaut launch for SpaceX and for NASA under the crew, commercial crew program. Uh, SpaceX has la- also launched another Starlink uh, batch of satellites. That just happened this past Saturday morning, yesterday morning. Uh, they launched a, a previously, right after launching Bob and Doug to the space station, about, a, I think it was within a week, they launched another uh, Falcon 9 and launched a more Starlink. All three boosters landing successfully out at sea on the recovery barge and brought back into port. The Starlink one from yesterday is on its way back to port. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so it's gone really well. SpaceX is having a really good run of things, and I'm glad for it. And it'll be interesting now as we move forward. They've got to complete uh, Demo Mission 2. That's that's Bob and Doug's mission that's currently up at station. They've got to bring that dragon back, go through reentry, and and they're gonna. I think they're gonna splash down in the Atlantic, and then that will be the end of Demo Mission 2. And then we will be preparing for Crew 1. That is the first mission to station. That is not a demo mission. This will be live. Uh, not that the demo mission isn't live and real, but this will be the first crewed launch under a new contract to launch astronauts to the space station. Four astronauts are scheduled to go up on that flight. All right, if you're interested in seeing what it's like this dock Dragon to space station, SpaceX has released a really cool interactive website where you can practice it yourself. My advice, go slow, go slow, go slow. Uh, and happy birthday to Falcon 9, right? Just a couple weeks, days ago, Falcon 9 was 10 years old. It's been 10 years since that first launch of the Falcon 9. I was lucky enough in 2010 to be there for one of the early launches. I want to say it was the second or third launch, and it may have been one of the crew resupply missions. But um, pretty amazing, their 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 record. They, they've had one loss of vehicle, right? I'm talking about during launch. They uh, That December, I forget what December it was. It might have been about four or five years ago. I was down there for it. Uh, they lost. It was the it was the mission launching with the uh, first Hololenses. Hololens one was on board. Two of them to go to station, and uh, it was that it exploded uh, just before second stage. So they lost the the spacecraft and they lost the cargo. But um, since then, they have had a wonderful record. Uh, they did lose that one on the pad too. I forgot about that. But again, proving to be very safe, very steady. Uh, and they are they're doing well, and so the, they continue to progress the reusability of the rockets. I mean, they have got this landing thing down to a science. That's I don't know how many in a row, but they just landed one that was its fifth landing. That's the most ever for a booster. And this new uh, this new version of the booster can go up to like ten times reuse. Uh, I challenged on Twitter. I said, "What do you do with that booster that launched the first guys from from um, you know U.S. soil?" to orbit on a U.S. rocket, U.S. astronauts, I think you save it. I think you keep it for posterity, but I think they're probably going to use it again. Um, but at some point, I hope they save it in case there's a there's an incident where they might lose it on a recovery. It'd be nice to have that rocket for uh, posterity. Boeing, X-place, uh, the X-37B space plane is back up in orbit again. That was successfully launched on a ULA launch vehicle, Atlas V, I think. So Boeing's still struggling, still fighting, still working on their, uh, their, their demo mission for their crew, Starliner. Um, so we're still watching that. We don't expect that, that demo to be done until later this year, towards the end of the year. Uh, Virgin Galactic, so Virgin Orbit uh, ignited their Launcher 1 rocket. They carry this up on an airplane, right, mounted underneath the airplane wing. They drop it. It drops away from the airplane. They fire the engine, and it is intended to go to orbit from there. However, they had some kind of issue. It was safely terminated because there was some uh, defect, something not nominal happened. Um, but good ex- good testing, They uh, that's why they're doing it. This was their first attempt. So they are continuing to improve on that process and work on that process. We'll be watching for when they do their next launch as well. 
And then Rocket Lab, this is a company out of New Zealand that's launching rockets, and they have launched their 12th electron rocket, and this one carried some satellites into orbit. So they are, they're working on develop, these are all 3D printed rockets. Uh, the entire rocket, I think, is 3D printed, and uh, they continue to have some success. So we're watching that. And then for NASA, I mean, I just there's just so much news around NASA, right? So we've got a story here about the SpaceX Crew Dragon crew, Doug Hurley and Bob Binky, who are now on station. They're welcome. Uh, there's a really great background story on nasaspaceflight.com about Bob Her Binkin and Doug Hurley and their background and connections to Columbia and Endeavor. Uh, they, Kathy Luters, who is, is now been nominated to become head of NASA Human Spaceflight, because as you might recall, they got rid of the guy who was on it before, replaced him, and then that guy's gone. He chose to resign. Uh, got mission updates for, for Mars. We got a first look at the James Webb t Space Telescope fully stowed, but we also heard that James Webb Space Telescope won't launch any earlier than March of next year. So that's that's been delayed. Uh, got some information here about Perseverance rover. That's the rover going to Mars on a ULA. I, I can't. I think it's uh, another Atlas V. I think is the, what it's going up on. Um, and but they have also delayed that. That was supposed to launch this month. It's now scheduled to launch in July. Um, and then a really cool story here about the flag, right? So there's a flag, an American flag, that was carried on STS-1. That was Columbia, the first shuttle mission. Um, that flag then flew on STS-135, the final shuttle mission, and it was left on space station during that flight, which, oh, by the way, Bob Hurley, Doug Hurley, I'm sorry, Doug Hurley was a member of that crew on 135. The flag was left there in 2011 when, uh, when Atlantis left for the last time and came back and landed on Earth uh, to close out the space shuttle program. Well, they had a bit of an a, a issue finding that flag on station. Uh, so this is a story kind of behind the background of that. I, just, I love this kind of stuff where people f have the forethought to know to fly a flag on STS-1 and then to fly it on STS-135 and then f give it to the first crew dragging folks that arrive. They will then take that down and uh, return it to Earth. So that just a cool story. I love those kind of stories. Um, NASA's move to commercial space has saved money. i got a story about that. Um, talking about Artemis and Artemis 1. That's the first moon mission launching on SLS. Uh, at least it's, it's scheduled to launch on SLS. Uh, so we, there's a story here from the Air and Space magazine that talks to the, the woman who will be the, the launch director for that. And then uh, the solid rocket boosters for Artemis 1 and Omega have arrived at Kennedy Space Center. The solid rocket boosters come from Promontory, Utah, where they're built. This, is, this was also in the space shuttle program. If you didn't know, solid rocket booster segments were shipped via train from Utah to Kennedy Space Center. Then they were offloaded and they were put together at Kennedy and then made it to the, the external tank, whereas the shuttle was then made it to the stack, and then it was rolled out to the launch pad on its own launch pad. So we're back to having SRBs coming back to the Cape to be prepared for a launch. So that's another step of progress. Uh, as much as there may be challenges around it, it's another step of progress towards Artemis 1. All right. So that's it for space. That's it for faith. That's it for tech. I want to close a little bit about the subject of the, uh, that's going on right now that we're, that I assume all of you are aware of. If you're on social media, if you watch the news and you see what's going on around the world, and that's the Black Lives Matter, the protests that are going on due to the death of black human beings, black males for the most part, um, and the latest one being George Floyd, and kind of he's kind of become that catalyst, that encompassing uh, issue. Although this weekend there was another death in Atlanta, um, so you know, as a white person, I know I don't have the perspective that that black people have in growing up in this country, in this world, and the experiences they have, and and how you know my own abilities and my own experiences are nowhere near those, right? Because if you sit and listen for a while, you will hear how different black people have to think about day-to-day -day things that, that I personally don't have to think twice about. And, and it is eye-opening when you take the time to learn and you take the time to sit down. For me in the last 10 days, the way that my path to enlightenment, my path to understanding on this 
is a, a couple of series on YouTube by a guy named Emmanuel Acho. He's a former linebacker in the NFL. He played for the Cleveland Browns and the, and the Philadelphia Eagles, and now he's a Fox Sports 1 analysis for the NFL. He recorded and has started a series called An Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. And he's done episode one, which is just him sitting talking. And then he's done episode two recently where he and Matthew McConaughey sit down and talk, have an uncomfortable conversation with a black man. And so McConaughey has a series of questions that he asks Emmanuel, and Emmanuel gives those answers. And, and it is, these should be TED Talks, to the level of TED Talks. It, sh- it should be mandatory reading or viewing for anybody who wants to better understand the Black Lives Movement and why it's important that we focus on black lives right now. Uh, as a Christian, I know all life matters. I know that all life matters from, from conception to natural death. As a Christian and a Christian Catholic, I believe that. Understanding the whole issue, uh, and so I'm not minimizing the all lives matter aspect, but right now the issue is around black people and the, the just unnecessary death of black men especially in interactions with police officers. And that's why these protests are going on. And so for me, my, my window into understanding that better are these videos, these uncomfortable conversations with a black man? Because it is, it's, it's while it's raw, it's insightful. It you gain such an understanding, and you hear him say something, you hear Emmanuel say something, and you go, "Wow, I, I've never had to think that way." And if you're open to it, it can be real enlightening. It can be eye-opening, and it can make you an ally. It can make you an ally for black people in this situation uh, who have suffered years and years and centuries and centuries of of discrimination and racism and all of that. So I highly encourage that if, if you're in that situation that you have those uncomfortable conversations. It's hard to step into somebody else's shoes. No matter how much we, we think we get it, we can never experience, truly experience what others encounter. Uh, you know, they say walk a mile in a man's shoes. It's impossible to truly walk a mile in a man's shoes because the reality is I am a white male. I will never experience what a black male experiences in life. It just won't happen. And so you have to have those uncomfortable conversations. This whole movement this time for me, it feels different. I don't know what about it feels different. Um, You know, my prayer is that everyone listens, right? That those who need to change see the need to change and then they make the change. Uh, It will not be easy. It isn't easy. It is never easy to make these kind of changes. It's never easy to admit that where my flaws are and where my shortcomings are and where I need to change sometimes, I'm blinded to that. So I encourage you to take that look. If you pray, pray for that change. If you don't pray, seek through whatever path it is you use, seek and gain understanding such as these videos that I've mentioned from Emmanuel Acho, these uncomfortable conversations with a black man. It is one way to start the dialogue. It's one way to start the understanding, and then you go on from there. For me, those uncomfortable conversations with a black man are going to be one of the main sources I use to continue to open my eyes so that I can better understand the institutionalized racism that exists. I know it exists, but understanding from somebody's perspective, seeing their eyes, seeing their face when they share these stories, can't help but open up your heart to understanding and your mind to understanding what people are going through. Again, we'll never truly experience it. That's just not possible, but we can at least try to work very hard to understand that, okay? So as I close with that, I want to encourage everybody to be kind, be safe, and be healthy. And we'll see you on the next episode of Faith, Tech, and Space. Take care, everybody. Thank you.